this morning I want to talk to you about how to prepare for the new day. Matthew chapter 3 verse 1. In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel hair with a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem, all Judea and all the region around Jordan went out to him. And in John chapter 1 verse 6 through 8, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent bear witness of that light. Then go down to verse 19 in John chapter 1. Now this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites to Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? Here's what he said. He said, I am a voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. As the prophet Isaiah said, now those who were sent were from the Pharisees, and they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, saying, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who is coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. This morning, I want to speak to you for a few minutes about preparing to enter into the new day. We're a part of this prophetic company like John the Baptist. We're called to prepare the way of the Lord. Like John the Baptist, we are witnesses of the light. The Bible says we're a light of the world, a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hid. We was not Elijah, but he came in the spirit of Elijah. When they asked, they said, are you the prophet? He's, his answer was no. When they pressed him about who he was, he answered, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. Now, I've been to that wilderness where John the Baptist preached. I've been down to the Jordan River to the place that they believe is where he baptized people. It is also the place that is believed where Joshua and the children of Israel crossed over Jordan. And it's a beautiful place, and it's in a wilderness area. It's just out away from the cities, and he was there eating wild locusts and honey. Thank God I'm not going to have wild locusts and honey for dinner today. Amen. That's what he ate. He wore camel's hair. And there was something different about this man. And they came and they questioned him. And they said, who are you? He said, I am one who is crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Listen to how Jesus describes him in Luke chapter 7 verse 28. For I say to you among those born of women, there is no greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus recognized John the Baptist as the greatest of the prophets. In the Old Testament, both Moses and Elijah were revered. Moses prophesied that one greater than him would come, prophesying of the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Elijah was known as the prophet of the supernatural. He called fire down out of heaven 
He raised the dead son of a widow and stood up against the wicked queen Jezebel and her husband Ahab who instituted the worship of Baal that had infiltrated Israel. One of my favorite places in Israel is out Mount Carmel where Elijah built an altar and he called down fire from heaven. You remember the story. He said the 450 prophets of Baal could go first and they built an altar and they cried out to their God all day long and then he began to mock them. He said maybe... Just maybe he's on a trip. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's, he's distracted in some way. And then he took and he wet the altar and he prayed a, a very short prayer. And what happened? Fire came down from heaven and consumed the altar. And there the 450 prophets of Baal were judged and they died there at the hand of Elijah. You see, God used this great prophet to call Israel back to the worship of the one true God, Jehovah. The Lord used this great prophet of God to anoint kings and raise up his successor, Elisha. He was called the prophet of the double portion. And we identify with Elisha because we are people of the spirit. We are people of the double portion. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 says, Do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation, but be filled with the spirit. John's assignment was to initiate a new order. He came to announce a brand new day. His task was to prepare the way of the Lord. So why, what did Moses, Elijah, and John the Baptist have in common? They were used of God as forerunners. They prepared the people of God for the new era, for the new thing that God was getting ready to do. God is doing a new thing today. God's not going to do the same thing that he did yesterday or the day before or ten years ago. But the God we serve is a creative God. He's the God who's about to do a new thing. Isaiah 43 19 says behold I will do a new thing now my wife was praying the other morning and she said Lord I just need a scripture will you just give me a scripture to encourage me and the Lord told her Isaiah 43 19 behold I will do a new thing now now let's look at it now it shall spring forth shall you not know it I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert God can make a river in the desert and you may feel like this morning you're in a desert place you're in a dry place maybe through this pandemic you've battled and and you feel like man I need to be in the house of God I need to feel the presence of God I need to experience his love and his grace I want to tell you God can make a river in the midst of your dry place he can make a way in the wilderness and listen I like the way it reads in the passion translation where he said I'm about to do something brand new God's about to do something brand new we're entering into a new era things will never be the same again if you think we're just going to kind of come back and it's just going to be business as usual, then you have to realize that God's using this time to bring his church into a new alignment. And in prayer, I was talking to the Lord the other day and I said, Lord, why did you allow the churches to be shut down? The very, the most essential thing in this nation is not Walmart. It's not Publix. It's not, it's not Amazon. The most essential thing in this nation today is the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord said, I allowed it to be shut down because I wanted to shut down the church so I could shut down man-made religion and man-made tradition. So he says, I'm calling my people into a new day. I love uh, Dr. Chuck Pierce's book, Interpreting the Times. There are eight new things that God does when he brings us into a new day. Let me give them to you real quickly. A new identity, Psalms 23.3, says he restores my soul. God brings restoration to our soul. 
He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, God's going to restore our souls so we can enter into the identity that God designed for us. God has an, a brand new identity he wants to bring forth in our lives. The Bible says old things pass away, all things become new. Secondly, he gives us new garments of favor. Identity, garments, and favor, they all go together. When we overcome the circumstances that come into the path of our lives, we develop a testimony. And with your testimony comes favor. Favor is much like grace, but it's linked with obedience. Favor opens doors. And here's my prayer. May you overcome, radiate with favor, and have entryway into new opportunities in this season. Number third, there's new relationships that God brings. When God does a new thing in us, we must evaluate all our relationships. I had a gentleman one time, he, he was in a very bad accident. Actually, he, he got burned up in a trailer and had burns all over his body. And he was there, and, and, and the man that was in the trailer with him was the one that set fire to the trailer. Uh, and then when the police got there and the fire department got there, he lied and told him I saved his life. He was the one that about near killed him. And he was in the hospital, and I went up and I led him to the Lord. His mom had been a Christian and, and loved the Lord, and I went up and I, I prayed with him. And that day in the hospital, he says, you think if I, if I accept the Lord Jesus Christ that I'll lose my friends? I said, no, you won't lose your friends. I said, your friends will lose you. When you come to Jesus, your old friends will lose you. But some of them you need to lose because there's been nothing but pulling you down. And listen, if somebody nearby burns you up in a trailer and then lies to the authorities about it, you need to lose that friend. Am I preaching okay? You'll lose those relationships. You see, he has new, fresh, divine connections to bring us into the path he has for us. He supernaturally aligns us with others who will cause us to come into a greater level of success. He positions people on our path that propel us down our path. You see, there's two types of relationships. There's seasonal relationships and then there are covenant relationships. Covenant relationships are for a lifetime. I was telling somebody just the other day, I said, if you can count on one hand the number of true Blue, lifelong friends that you have. Now, you may have 3,000 friends on Facebook. You may know a lot of people. But listen, there are people that, who will celebrate you. There are people who won't judge you. There are people who love you for who you are. You can count on one hand the number of those. And if you have more than one, you're a blessed person. You're a blessed individual. Seasonal relationships are there for a season. God has a purpose in them in that season. And then when that season is over, that relationship no longer necessarily exists. But there's some people that are going to walk this journey with you throughout your whole journey. So God has relationships that he'll bring into your path. Number four is new acts. In the early church, the power of God was displayed through the anointing in Paul's handkerchief and Peter's shadow. And throughout history, when God is ready to do something new, new acts begin to demonstrate his power today. So we must expect to see the Lord divinely intervene in our lives with signs, wonders, and miracles in each new season that we enter. A few weeks ago, right out here in this parking lot, I preached a message called The Power of the Shout. And I talked about how we have a power that gets released through our shout. I talked about how we as Pentecostal, spirit-filled, full gospel believers believe in exuberant worship. We believe in expressive worship. Why? Not so we can be seen or we can be heard, but we believe there's power that gets released through our praise. And what God wants to do is he wants to bring us back to an outpouring of his spirit where the power of God is manifest in the lives of his people in this hour. Number five, there are new weapons for the war. With each season, we 
we must reevaluate our armor. Our shield of faith must be repaired and shined to remove any wounding from the past season. Our belt of truth must be tightened as we move against new enemies in this age. Like David, we must be a people who refuse to use the proven armor of a past season. Like David, we must develop our own and then we will slay the Goliaths that are on our path. Number six is new sounds. Every new season and every movement is preceded by a new song. New songs will break old cycles. Sound creates movement. Number seven is a new anointing. Listen, we need a new anointing. We need fresh oil from heaven. And God's going to give us a new anointing for a new day. The anointing breaks the yoke. The anointing makes us grow so that every confining weight falls off of us. The anointing oil which makes us so greasy that the enemy can't grasp and hold us from entering into the best that God has for us. Psalms 92 verse 10 and 11 it simply says this, it's on the screen. But my horn you have exalted like a wild ox. I have been anointed with fresh oil. My eye also has seen my desire on my enemies. My ears hear my desire on the wicked who rise up against me. Number eight, God wants to give us a new level of authority. We're going to stand in dominion in the sphere of authority where we've been assigned by the Lord. So we must prepare for the new day. We must prepare the way of the Lord. You say, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we must prepare ourselves for what God desires to release in our midst. In Joshua chapter 3 verse 5, And Joshua said to the people, Sanctify yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Sanctification here means to be set apart. Set apart so you are ready to move forward in God's purposes. God is birthing a new order, and he's bringing us into a new day. So we must be prepared for his coming. These are the last days. I believe we must get very serious about seeking him in this hour. This time of quarantine is a wake-up call to a slumbering church. In Ephesians 5, 14, therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. When I began to study John the Baptist and his ministry, I realized that it was characterized by the following things. These same things, I believe, are very relevant for us today in the 21st century as we get ready here in 2020 for a visitation of God's Spirit to our church. I'm believing God for a visitation of God's Spirit to our church. So what are you saying? I believe God's going to visit our church. But I believe he's going to visit other churches and he's going to visit this region. We were praying this week for the upper South Carolina area, for the upstate, for, for this region that we call Spirit Life Ministries. We were praying over this region and we were asking God on the National Day of Prayer to visit us. Let there be a visitation of your spirit, unprecedented. This has been an unprecedented time in my life where we've had, a, had to shut down businesses and shut down and stay at home and do all those things that we've never done in our lifetime that I can remember. Let this be an unprecedented move of God's spirit in our lifetime like we've never known or experienced before. So what do we do? Well, first of all, John the Baptist, he had, he had one message. He came preaching the word repent. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The first step in preparing for a visitation from the Lord, either personally or corporately, is to repent of our sins and come clean with God. Listen to the message that John preached in Matthew 3. Verse 1 and 2. 
In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Our message today is simply this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The word repent comes from a Greek word. Uh, It means this, it means a decision that results in a change of mind, which in turn leads to a change of purpose. Many will interpret to repent as simply to turn. But it is more than that. It's a change of mind that results in a change of purpose. God wants us to repent of the mindsets that have held us in bondage. Religious mindsets that hold us in the powerless traditions of men. Mindsets that keep us in guilt and shame. Do you know Jesus came so that we don't have to have any more condemnation? That we don't have to live in guilt and shame? That's what religion does to you. That's what the enemy does. But I love the words, and this is not in the notes, but Romans 8, 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He wants to set us free from the traditions of man. You see, tradition is the thief of power. He wants to set us free from mindsets that are rooted in false teaching. We must allow the word of God to transform our thinking. That's why I encourage you to read and study God's word and meditate on God's word. It will transform your thinking. He wants to set us free from lustful mindsets that hold us in bondage to lust. Fearful mindsets that hold us in bondage to fear. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but power and love and a sound mind. That word sound there means clean, an uncluttered mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If we're going to know the will of God and understand what we're supposed to do in these last days, we must have our minds renewed. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 through 8 says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and came obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. I remember some years ago, some people said some things about me that were not true. And it was harming my reputation. And I was very concerned about that. And so I called one of my spiritual fathers in the Lord who just went home to be with, with the Lord. And I said, people are saying this and it's happening. And he says, are you better than Jesus? I said, no, sir. He said, well, he made himself of no reputation. I thought, Wow. He took the form of a bondservant. He come in the likeness of men. And he being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and came obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. We have to humble ourselves and become obedient. And we have to die to ourselves, die to our flesh. And we have to say, Lord, I surrender all. I give my all to you. You see, we must have our minds renewed as we embrace the word and his presence so that we will not be conformed to the world's thinking. See, the world's thinking today is to hoard up everything you can get. The world's thinking is is to live in fear. The world's thinking is is to be driven by fear. But the believer's thinking is I live by faith. The Bible says this in 1 John 1, 15-7. Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father but is of the world. 
And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Repentance prepares the way of the Lord. So we must allow the Lord, first of all, to deal with our thought life. See, the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So we have to allow the Lord to deal with our minds and our mindset. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. He says that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. The first message of After Pentecost was simply a message of repentance. In Acts chapter 2, verse 28, it says, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Acts 3.19, it says, Repent, therefore, and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So my message today is simply the same as John the Baptist. Repent and come clean with God. Repent. For the kingdom is at hand. How do I do that? Well, you ask the Lord to search your heart. Search my heart. Search my mind. Search my attitudes. Search my motives. Oh, God, search me today. And anything in my life that is not Christ-like, that is unlike Christ, anything that's crept in, I want you to point it out, Holy Spirit, so I can repent of and I can deal with it and I can give it to you. Now, what did John mean by the kingdom is at hand? The kingdom refers to God's sovereign rule in the universe. He is the king of the heavens. But more specifically, here it refers to the entry of God's long-anticipated anointed one, the prophesied Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Declaring the kingdom at hand, John was declaring that the rule of God's king was about to overthrow the power and rule of all evil, both human and hellish. The kingdom was near because the king was, was near. And his presence, introducing the power of the kingdom of God, meant that a new world of potential hope to mankind was about to come forth. Dr. Jack Hayford writes, he says, the first call of kingdom is to repentance. Jesus said this, he said, fear not, little flock, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Where is the kingdom? It's within. (laughs) Oh, there's a coming kingdom, yes, but the kingdom is within. Kingdom of God is love, joy, and peace in the Holy Spirit. We are citizens of that kingdom. The moment we're born again, we're citizens of that kingdom. Now, when I travel overseas, I have a passport. I have a better picture because it was taken some years ago. And I'll come in and they'll look at my picture and they'll look at the passport and they'll ask me questions. But every time I come in to the country, I know I can get entrance back into the country because I'm a citizen of this country by birth. But I'm a citizen of the kingdom by birth, by the new birth. That's what it means to be born again. So the Bible says this world is not our home. We are pilgrims and sojourners passing through. But we have a home. Hallelujah. Abraham sought that city whose builder and maker is God. And I'm seeking that city today. But I want you to know that we have the ability as believers to summon the kingdom. And the kingdom can come on our behalf. That's why we pray thy kingdom come. I will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The implication of biblical repentance is threefold. Number one is renunciation and reversal. Number two is submission and teachability. Number three is continual shapeability. Let me give you this last point is simply this. He came preaching repentance. But secondly, John had to deal with opposition and conflict. In Matthew 11, 12, it says, From the days of John the Baptist unto now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. 
What does this passage mean? Well, it talks about violent there. It don't mean that we take up guns and, and, you know, and clubs and knives and we go out and we convert people at the business end of a gun. That's what, uh, that's what barbarism does. That's what, that's what terrorism does. No. But we get violent in the spirit realm. I believe it means as a kingdom of God advances in victory, it does so through violent spiritual conflict and warfare. In the scriptures, we learn the kingdom of God makes its penetration by a kind of violent entry opposing the human status quo. From the time of John the Baptist until now lets us know we're involved in a spiritual conflict. The Bible calls this a good fight. Now, you can have a good fight, but most of the time if you're in a fight, you get wounded and think it's uh, boxing. They get in there and they box each other, what, 10 or 12 rounds? You know, and one may win the match, but when he comes out, he's got black eyes and bruises and he's got sore places because he took a beating as well. But the Bible calls this a good fight. 1 Timothy 6, 12 says, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life, to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I like this that Dr. Chuck Pierce writes in his book. He says, When God is talking about us being violent, I've sensed that he needs to describe us in this matter. A violent people taking the kingdom by force is a people that he's raising up who will press through the difficult stormy situations filled with persecution and force and atmospheric change. This is a revolutionary group of individuals who will not be content until they see the manifestation of God's kingdom in the earth. Faith will be our victory. The scripture teaches that when the kingdom comes, there will be conflict. There will be a clash that takes place with the kingdom of darkness. And what you have to do is you have to contend. Contend for the faith. Contend for your children. Contend for your family. Contend for your job. Contend for your inheritance. Contend for your promises. You have to press through. You have to refuse to give up in the name of the Lord. Sometimes we just open the door and let the devil in. And we say, I'm just too tired to fight. But somebody has to rise up in faith today and declare that the kingdom of heaven suffers violent. But the violent take it by force. Many of you that are watching me today, you've been involved in a spiritual conflict. Enemies come with three things, discouragement, depression, and oppression. Man, there's some days that in this pandemic, I've just felt such an oppression. One day I'd feel such a glory and such an anointing and, and, and the Lord would, the, my fellowship with him. And then the, the next day or so, I'd just feel such an oppression and, and that thing want to get on me and I'd have, to, I'd have to just push it away and fight it off. Some of you battle in your mind. What is the enemy's plan? He wants to tie us up in weariness to wear out the saints so we will not pursue the kingdom or press through to our inheritance and miss our moment. See, your inheritance is not just heaven. Your inheritance is not eternity. You have an inheritance here on this earth. It's the sphere that God's given you, the territory where you have authority. It's the job that God wants you to have. It's the person that you marry. It's the children that you have. It's the home that you live in. Those are part of your inheritance here on earth. And we have to press in sometimes to receive that. And we have to come because the enemy opposes us at every step. I've never found that things come very easy in the kingdom of God. I remember when I was a young pastor, if, if my piano player left and I didn't have two piano players that walked in the next week. It took me three or four weeks to find somebody that could play the piano. I'd have pastors tell me, oh, my music director left, but I had three music directors the next week, you know. Or, and I'm like, well, praise the Lord. But that never, it never happened. We had to pray. It's like every inch of ground we took, we had to take it. We had to just, we had to just dispossess the enemy off of it. The enemy wants to keep us distracted so that we miss our moment. This is our moment, church. 
This is our time. This is the time for your backslidden children to come home. This is the time for the prodigals to come home. This is the time to see an outpouring of God's spirit. There's not going to be a greater time. And God's given us a window of opportunity here. And I believe that when we come back together, we've got to come back together prayerfully. We've got to come back together on our knees. We've got to come back in the fear of God. We've got to come back together expecting and believing God. How many of you would join me in expecting and believing God for an outpouring of his spirit to take place in this place over the next few weeks and months and, and the remaining part of this year? Let God show up in this house and bring revival. Let him turn us upside down and let him just do whatever he desires to do. And let it be in such a way that no man can take credit for it. It's not about who the evangelist is or the pastor is or the prophet is. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ being lifted up. This is our moment. Let's not miss it. And the enemy will try to distract us. And don't fall back into the same trap. Let's not fall into that trap of being distracted from the things of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added unto you. This is our moment. This is our time. This is our day of breakthrough.